Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 95. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiast. Today is part one of a two-part show with a very special guest who's called in all the way from the Burgundy region to France, artist Stan Rose. Stan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yep, I'm ready to fly. All right. It's great to have you here. Stanley Rose is an internationally acclaimed artist who has succeeded in attracting the attention and emotion of automotive art collectors from around the globe. He grew up on his family farm in Dorset, a rural county in southwest England. According to Stanley, one is born an artist, and at the age of 18, he was accepted at the Stourbridge College of Art. His life has taken many turns and roadways. However, his passion for art and his paintings have been displayed in many shows around the world, including Retromobile in Paris, at Le Mans, Silverstone, Essen, Monza, and on the lawn at the Pebble Beach Concours, where I first experienced his wonderful paintings in person. There, he's won the Concours' top accolade, the Peter Helk Award, for his painting, Nuvolari. He's a member of the Automotive Fine Arts Society, and painting is his whole life. So Stan, I've told our listeners just a little bit about your past. Could you take a few moments and share some more about your history, your career as an artist, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, sure, sure, Mark. Um, as you said, I was I was uh, brought up on a on a farm in uh, southwest England, and um, in fact, it, I only lived the first two years of my life on that farm. But it was uh, they they were very important two years because I think I drove my first tractor when I was two years old. I sat on my grandfather's uh, lap and uh, holding the steering wheel of uh, of this machine. <laughs> uh, you know, like all kids, this was you know it must have. Uh, made an impression even at that uh, young age but in fact after two years my my father was the youngest of three brothers and uh, the farm was only big enough to uh to take care of uh two brothers working on that farm uh, so so my father was uh he had to go off and, and make his way elsewhere he became a, a chartered accountant in, in fact i suppose i would still go down and visit my cousins on the farm during the uh, the summer holidays, uh, the vacation is, as you would say, we call them the the summer holidays. We would all go out to the farm, and uh, during haymaking time, biggest thrill of all was that uh, while these guys were chucking bales of hay up onto the uh, onto the trailer behind a behind a tractor, because they were uh, you know tough, strong boys, we kids got to drive the tractor, move it along from bale stack to bale stack, mm. and it was amazing to be able to do that. I mean, we were nine years old, 10 years old uh, at the time. 
And I remember uh, succinctly my uh, my cousin and I, we were both on this uh, Fordson Major tractor, the U.R. It's an American tractor. Mm-hmm. The clutch was so heavy, there was no way that one of us could push this pedal down. So my cousin would uh, jam himself between the, the, the tractor seat and the clutch pedal, and he would force that clutch pedal down, and then I would engage the gear stick uh, into whatever, second gear uh, perhaps, and, <laughs> and, and, and then we would have to somehow gent- gently release him off the clutch so that the tractor would uh, you know, move forward. And I remember those days to you know right this minute i can i can i can visualize it now i can see it now so it had a huge impression on my uh, you know my my early life those sort of experiences they're just they're just magical for a kid but like all kids uh, you know there were, we had to go to school and we had to uh, go through all the uh, you know the school things etc on the art side of things in school that's where i sort of uh, i i guess I, I first recognized that i could draw because all the other kids would uh, you know they obviously recognized the the fact as well i was the guy who uh, who who was asked to oh can you draw me this uh, can you draw me that uh, the school magazine. I was the. I was always the art editor. I had to produce the. Uh, you know the the artwork, the layout, etc. I guess you, you you sort of felt a little bit special because you had this. You know this this talent uh, that uh, you didn't know how you were going to exploit it or anything, but you just you just knew that uh, somehow or other you, you you had to you had to use it. Sure. One day there was this TV show. This TV show was a weekly event. We would gather in front of this black and white TV in the sort of late 50s, I guess it must have been. This program, a guy called Adrian Hill presented an art program and he would do a demonstration of drawing. This was, you know, this was just wonderful for for somebody like me who who was interested in drawing. And at the end of the program, he'd always uh, put up a subject. It could be anything, you know, um, it could have been, uh, you know, the sports day or uh, you know a, a little bit of a landscape or something and he would invite kids of all age groups to send in a piece of work and if this piece of work was selected and shown on the next week's tv you know you were just ecstatic it was a wonderful feeling and it happened to me, it happened to me a picture that i drew was of a domestic scene it appeared on this tv program wow there it's my picture on the national television screen it was wonderful <laughs> great feeling. oh it must have been a wonderful feeling for a young man and how old were you at that time i can't remember precisely but i must have been either nine ten ten years old probably and the other thing about it was that if you got three pictures on this show then you won a prize hmm. and this prize could have been a paint box or something i i, I can't remember the details Eventually, I got, got a second picture shown, and then the the third picture never happened. Mm. And I was just always suspicious that uh, maybe it was fixed. You know, there was no way they were going to give out prizes willy-nilly, so I never got to get a third third uh, picture on the show. <laughs> In fact, I, I think it was from that day, having that first successful experience, that decided that for me anyway, that, that one day I was going to be, and I called it, I think I said that, yeah, one day I was going to be a commercial artist because it was the only expression that I knew 
associated with something to do with work and art. You know, I mean, I didn't know about, I mean, I don't think the word graphic designer was invented then. I didn't know about sort of, you know, set design or car design or anything. Uh, I just knew that there were, there were people called commercial artists. Sure. I yeah. thought, that's what I want to be. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful story. I love that, the beginnings. And, and as we continue on your journey, we're going to talk about your passion for cars and and how your life evolved. But I always like to start the show with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been a part of your life, instrumental in forming your success, your life, your thoughts. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Stan, take the wheel. Okay, well, uh, yeah, a quote for success. Well, I guess the quote that I like anyway is that well-known one, you know, uh, genius is 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration. <laughs> I'm not suggesting in any way that, that I'm a genius, but I, I knew that I had this talent for uh, draftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Like everybody in the world of work, you go to work and you have to grind through the day every day. And at the end of the day, you get your rewards, whether it's a pay packet or whatever. And in painting and drawing, you know, and this may sound pretty boring to people that are not involved in that, but I believe in going to work every day and working all day. And that's where the 90% of perspiration comes. And then my little bit of talent that I have that I, that I, you know, I'm aware of that I, that I do have a little bit of talent. That 10% is the inspiration. Mm-hmm. So. What I do, and people are quite surprised when I, when I when I describe to people, you know, how do you work? Do you, you know, I, I have a, a really nice studio. It's very comfortable. I have lots of things in it. I have inspirational things in it. I have pictures on the wall. I have photographs. I have little bits of uh, quotes for things. I have little menus for the way to mix some paints. Just things that uh, you know just didn't keep me inspired, mm-hmm. but. I start my day at nine o'clock. I work for two hours. I take a tea break, you know, because I'm British (laughs) and Brits take tea breaks. Of course. Then I work another two hours and then I have an hour for lunch. And then I do another two hours, take a walk around the block or whatever, and then another two hours. And so I do an eight hour day minimum every day. And it's not always possible to uh, to be inspired during that eight hours, and you, sometimes you might not actually do, you know, physically painting, but you're there and you're thinking about it. If I get a, in a situation whereby I am struggling with a picture, I'll stop and I'll do something else that's related to maybe the next painting. I might prepare a canvas. I might try and find some reference for something on, you know, Google something or look through my reference books or whatever for, to just anything. But the main thing is that I'm, I'm keeping the process going. I'm, I'm working, I'm thinking, but I've got to be there to do that. Sure. And so, so this is, the, so, so that's why for me, uh, for me, this 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration is, is, is an important uh, basis of the way I work. Oh, absolutely. I think for everyone and raising two children as I have, that's something I've always taught them is most of your success will come from a lot of hard work. It's that perspiration that you have to put into it that you end up with a a 
few moments of uh, of success afterwards. So I love the way you've incorporated that quote into your life and how you work through your day, and especially as an artist, because that inspiration is so important. Could you share a story of with us that instigated your passion for cars? Do you remember that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, uh, I'm not sure that I had a pivotal moment, but going back to my story of the farm and the tractors, that's for sure. That had something to do with how I got into cars. Mm. And I guess one of the things that really got me interested in cars was as an 11-year-old now, I guess I've moved, I, uh, I would be about 11, maybe 12 years old. During the winter months, my father, I come from a very sporting background. My, my father was mad about all sorts of sport. He was, he was into everything. And likewise, I, I, I guess I followed. I, I love all sorts of sport, including motorsport and uh, motorcycle uh, racing and etc., uh, etc. Et but during those winter months, my father was, uh, he used to organize uh, a lot of the local sports teams like uh, the soccer team, the cricket team, etc. During the, the winter months, uh, cricket, which is a well-known English game, probably not so many Americans have heard of it, the sports field on which cricket is played, you know, they, they have a, a thing called a pavilion where the players would go and change and, and have tea, etc. And this thing had to be maintained during the, uh, during the winter months. And my father, who was the, uh, you know, he was the secretary, the president, the chairman and the, uh, the, the, the gopher, everything. He did everything mm-hmm. during those winter, uh, uh, Sundays usually uh, we we would go to the cricket ground and he would start doing the maintenance. It would be painting, it would be repairing pieces of you know the the, the building. He would be laying down um, you know uh, perhaps preparing a, a new wicket, which is the grass surface on which it uh, which cricket is play, played, etc. And I was the you know my father said, "Come on, we're going off to do this today," and and I would I would have to follow him, and I. In a way, I hated it. It was just, it was just so boring. It was, you know, I was a kid. Yeah. I didn't want to be out in the freezing cold doing this thing. So I had this great idea, and that was I struck a bargain with my father. I said, "Okay, I'll do it, but you've got to teach me to drive." In those days, in in uh, in England, uh, you know, we were still sort of it was austerity times. It was after the war. Hardly anybody had a car. You know, you, you, you would see a car every, and especially out in the sticks where I lived, um, you'd see a car every, you know, half an hour or so. Uh, but my father worked for um, a company of chartered accountants, and they had a fleet of cars. When I say a fleet of cars, they had about half a dozen cars that were pretty old uh, things. There was a Morris 8, an Austin something or other. Uh, there was a Ford Poplar. And all these cars, they, they were all different. They had different quirky things about them, but mostly they all had three-speed gearboxes. So you'd have two synchromesh boxes, uh, two synchromesh gears and one crash. Crash uh, box. Gear, <laughs> exactly, which was, you know, first gear. Yeah. I struck up this bargain and we found this um, private drive. It was about two miles long, this drive. And at the beginning of the drive, there was this very steep slope. And that's where we'd start the lesson. So... I'd have this car, and, and I could hardly see over the top of the steering wheel and out the windscreen. I would have to let the handbrake off and release the clutch 
at the right time so that the car would pull away smoothly and not do a, a kangaroo up this hill. <laughs> I learned to drive along that strip and it was just fabulous. It was just, in the end, I would love those Sundays. I would work all day long for my father building this and painting that and as long as I got my, at the end of the day, I got my drive in whatever car it happened to be in that day. Yeah, wonderful story. I love that. <laughs> at first I thought, where's he going with this? How does this relate to cars? And yeah, so you, <laughs> you, you stuck that, struck that great deal with your dad and what, what wonderful memories. So Stan, what I want to do now is take a look at a couple of the roads you've driven down and, and really crawl under the hood, maybe get our hands a little dirty and have you share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. And it's a great part of Cars Yeah because it helps people realize that everyone faces these challenges and these failures. But most important, share with us how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, um, I'm not, I can't, I can't really remember any failures. You know, I've, life has been pretty smooth and my art life is has been relatively smooth. I mean, it's 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 also been you know there there have been challenges. Of course, I come from a, a fine art background, and basically, a fine artist is a guy who sits in a studio or usually a an ice cold garret somewhere in, in you know in a, in an attic and freezes to death and and usually dies young. <laughs> I really didn't fancy that, <laughs> and uh, so kidding. so. In what I do, that is, I, I paint my pictures and I exhibit them and I help people buy them. People do buy them. But I also get a lot of commissions. For a fine artist, a commission is like a death sentence because you have to stick to deadlines. People want certain things in the picture. They want, they, they, they want, uh, certain cars that are a certain color. And uh, they want to be, um, you know, they want to look like this. They don't want wrinkles. They don't, you know, etc. There's always a deadline. And for a fine artist who sits in his garret and just paints what he wants and then sticks it on show and sells it, this is a tricky, uh, a, tr a tricky uh, business. Mm. The hardest thing that ever happened to me, I, I had a huge commission a few years back, and I won't mention the names of the people that commissioned it but they were they were fantastic they, and they're, they're they're wonderful people when i got the commission it was to paint their whole family the grandfather the sons the grandsons the daughter-in-laws the son-in-laws the da 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 and and a fleet of cars in the background oh my gosh and this painting was going to be big you know it was uh about three meters by two meters this painting started it took about in the end i think it took about two years because every uh, as well as this huge um photo seance that i had with the with every member of the family to get their portraits um because this is an american family i lived in europe so i got all the photographs together and then i started putting the painting together i started composing it getting the cars in the background. And then I had to start doing all the portraits, the actual position of everybody. I had the composition was great. It all worked out okay. I started putting in the portraits and I was communicating with the family via email. I was sending them progress reports, you know, sending taking photographs, sending the photographs back. Then it came the day when I'd done all the underpainting and it's my usual way of working. I, I, I'll do all the underpainting in acrylic. 
And then before I commence doing the details in oil paint over the top, I say to my client, look, this is your last chance. While it's still in, a, in its acrylic state, we can make changes. And these people, or at least the, uh, the two that commissioned the picture in the first place, flew from California to Paris, drove down to my studio here in Burgundy, and they sat in front of the picture, uh, and the guy looked at the painting, and he saw his son-in-law standing, holding the grandson in his arms, and he was sort of in the center of the picture, and he did look a little bit sort of, you know, like he was the uh, center of the world sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And this guy, he didn't say anything to me. He just pointed and he said, I want that person down there, and I want me up there. And that was it. That's all he said. He didn't say he liked the painting. He didn't say he disliked it. That's, that's the only changes I had to make. Hmm. So I made the changes, and I thought, this, this is going to be this is going to be pretty tricky. So I thought, I, I, I'm going to make some more regulations about this because I had to then do the painting, take it to California, and the whole family were going to be present when this picture was to be presented. Wow. In fact, nobody is allowed to criticize their own portrait in the painting. You can criticize somebody else's portrait, but you cannot criticize your own because my – my experience is that people hate their own sort of uh, always hate their own. They they look too old. They have too many wrinkles, etc. Sure. Anyway, the painting was taken over there. I presented it, and it was fine. You know, everybody loved it. They didn't really like their own paintings, but because this rule was in the uh, you know their own portraits, this rule was in place, and they couldn't criticize their own picture. And so the painting went through, and 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 that was it. But it was. You know, for a fine artist who who doesn't do that sort of thing, uh, you know, it was it was a, it was a struggle. It was hard. Well, I'm glad it finally worked out. I would. I was hoping you were going to say well, you unveiled it and everybody walked away. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, let's try that again. So, well, yeah, yeah. well, let's shift gears here and go the other end of the spectrum. Could you share a story when you realized, you know, what I think I am actually going to make it as a fine artist and in this career path and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment in your career into a success. Well, you know, you know uh, as I said, I, I live in France. Um, I live, I live here in Burgundy. And um, the reason I live here is because there is a wonderful canal system in France and in this particular part of France. And as I've always lived, or I always lived on barges, I lived on uh, canal barges in England, and I lived on canal barges in France. Mm. And that's how I ended up here. And as the, uh, I succinctly remember, the, the day that we arrived at this particular place where I'm actually, I suppose it's about three kilometers, two miles away from where I'm actually living now, we brought the boat up through a lock and stood on the side of this lock was a car and it was a Renault Juvacat. In, 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 in fact, it was a, I suppose in reality, it was a Dauphinoise, which is a sort of a slightly younger version of a Juvacat. And it was a, a how do you call it? A brake. Um, it was, uh, like an estate car. What do you call an estate car? In a the, station uh, wagon? Station wagon. Exactly. Yes. It was a Renault station wagon. And this car was stood on the side of the lock. And I said to my wife, Avril, I said, that's our car. And she said, no, that's my car. <laughs> she couldn't drive at the time, but that was going to be her car. 
And so anyway, we, we carried on up the canal, moored up. And the first thing I did the next day, I went back down to that lock and I, uh, and I bought the car. That was the beginning of the story that led to me really getting into being a, an automotive artist because I'd basically given up my career in, in England. I, w- I was teaching and I was painting part-time. I came over to France really to paint full-time. When I got here, I, I, was, I was really struggling to find subject matter and to, you know, to really find my way again because it had been 12 months since I'd, I'd painted. So, you know, like I'd always done before, and I know that you like drawing um, in particular, and I do as well, and it's a really good discipline. So I started drawing my Renault Dauphin, my wife's Renault Dauphin was, and I drew loads of pictures of it, and I just enjoyed it. And I could position the car. I, I walked around the car. I put the car in the right sort of lighting, etc. I thought a little thing where a little light went on, it just said there must be a way that uh, maybe I can I can paint and draw other people's cars, you know, and just make a few few bucks that way. Sure. And so, so I thought, uh, okay, so let's think about this. Um, I, I was reading some car magazines and I found out that in Paris, uh, there was this show called Retromobile mm-hmm. and it's a classic car show and it took place every February. I thought, okay, I'm going to go for it. So I must have put together 20 paintings during the course between September and February. And I thought, how do I uh, go about this? You know, I've, ne- I've never sold anything outside of an exhibition in a gallery before now, you know, but here I am with these 20 pictures. I've got to work out a way of selling. So I, so I said to my wife, look, I'm going to go up to Paris the day before the show starts and I'm going to find a way of uh, exhibiting these pictures. Uh, maybe I can, you know, get some people on stands to, to, to stick them on their wall, etc. So I built this trolley thing that I could stack the paintings on and push them along, you know, because I, you know, I, I was being prepared. I was a boy scout, you know, the old saying, be prepared. Ah, the boy scouts, yes. <laughs> uh, so I got up to Paris in my painting. So I loaded up my little trolley truck thing. I went through the, you know, there were no restrictions. It was the day before the show opened. People were setting up. I walked in the, uh, in the, in the door of Retromobile and it was, it was just fantastic. You know, there were, there were people pushing cars around. There were Hispano Suizas sort of going that way. There were Bugattis going this way. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it, it was fabulous. And uh, the first stand I arrived at was a stand called the, the uh, Hotchkiss stand. Uh, I had a car, uh, a painting of a car that was sitting on this stand. I just couldn't believe my ears. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I approached the stand and I said, look, I've got a painting of this car. I can't believe it. You know, would it be interesting for you to, to actually sort of show it on the wall and could we put it for sale? So, and the guy said, Sure. And he said, uh, and, and by the way, you know, you will need to come in to check this out every uh, every day during the 10 days of Retromobile. So he gave me 10 tickets to get in for the whole uh, of the 10 days. <laughs> Score. And I, I couldn't believe it. So I just carried on. <laughs> I carried on down through the uh, the, 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 the showroom of, of Retromobile and uh, all these people putting up stands. And I, I offloaded a, another painting onto a, a bodywork renovation stand uh, of all things and i got to the i got to the end of the of the uh, exhibition room and it was a it's a massive great big showroom and at the end there was this restaurant 
And the guy was just the, the guy who owned the restaurant. The restaurant had been set up. They were already operating because all these other people setting up stands wanted to eat and drink, etc. Mm-hmm. And this guy was pinning uh, posters of uh, ham on the wall and mm-hmm. other bits of meat. And I thought, <laughs> you know, this has got to there's got to be something better than that, yeah. that for this guy. So I I made the proposition. I said, look, you know, how about me decorating your restaurant with my paintings? And he said, yeah, fine. Why not? So I offloaded the rest of the paintings on the wall. I then had to work out a way of actually, you know, how do you sell the paintings? I mean, this restaurant was absolutely chock a block with people all day long, every day for 10 days. But, you know, how do you relate paintings that are on the wall to a guy that has no stand? You know, I was just uh, somebody that's in the restaurant. So I made myself a classic sandwich board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a, a big card on, on the front of my jacket and, a, and one on, on the back of my jacket and said, I'm the guy that's done the paintings on the wall. If you're interested, you know, <laughs> tap me on the shoulder and let me know. Oh. And for 10 days, I walked up and down the aisles of this restaurant, you know, past all that. And gradually, people would, you know, start to, to think, oh, yeah, he's, he's the guy that's done the painting on the wall. Oh. And the one day, the one day uh, towards the end of Retromobile, a guy approached me and he said, uh, I like these paintings. I'll buy that one. And I thought, I just, I just really couldn't believe it. You know, uh, this was the first sale that I made there. Yeah. And he said, and I'll buy that one. And I, I'll have that one as well. And that one. And the guy bought nine paintings. Oh, my gosh. Gave me two commissions, and that was it. I, wow. I, I arrived. I thought, this is it. That is an aha moment for sure. And maybe maybe that's the answer to the next question I have for you. But oh, can you remember your proudest moment as an automotive artist? Proudest moment? Um, yeah, if I, I, don't really, I don't really have a, a – oh, I – yeah, no, I don't have a proudest moment, but I am <laughs> proud of one thing, and uh, that is that I guess from that day, I thought, yeah, I can make a living out of my painting, so that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so rather than a proudest moment, I guess I am proud that I have been able to make a living out of painting. Mm. Yes, spectacular. Definitely, definitely. And I just love that story. That was a wonderful entrepreneurial story of how you take a situation and turn it into a success and work real hard and just get out there and put yourself out in front of people. What a great story. Thanks for sharing that. That was great. You're welcome. This concludes the first part of my interview with Stanley Rose. Tune in to Cars Yeah! Show number 96 to hear the rest of his inspiring journey. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!